Hello, welcome, and mellow greetings one and all. You are tuned in to Frivolous Gravitas, hosted by yours truly, Christopher Driver, and my trusty Ubermensch extraordinaire, my captain, my captain, <laughs> Mr. Jordan yeah. Roy. I don't need to reread it. <laughs> <laughs> Today we'll be led through the darkness to shed some light on oft-misrepresented quote and figure out what it is exactly that uh, Mr. Nietzsche is trying to communicate to our readers. And I will read you the quote in question, just for specificity's sake. Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Uh, Quote from Good and Evil? Yeah, it's from Beyond, Beyond Good, and Good and Evil, yeah. number 146. Awesome book. So this quote is, it's always been around, you know, when you're a teenager, it just sounds so cool. And it's one of those things that has that element of, I guess, uh, Megan told me of this word that I learned recently called deepity. And deepity is something that sounds smart. It sounds in intensely deep and it's like whoa makes you go whoa that's deep what does it mean this is definitely a good example of that but it does actually have some substance to it beyond like dude that's deep so we, sh we should do an episode just on deepity oh we should <laughs> there we could like find out because when you're a teenager stuff like this fits right in with like lincoln park lyrics and uh yeah. <laughs> so this, sure. yeah just all this terrible stuff that's just it gets your edgy teenage biology just going and you're just like yeah i'm i'm living in the abyss in my mom's basement and being 13 or something like ooh, yes you're so that's but i've been thinking about this for a while because i've been noticing something even in myself lately so this does not make this too much of a confession episode. <clears throat> um, but one of the things that I've been noticing is that given that this thing has such a, it's his probably his most famous quote aside from, you know, God is dead. God is tot. And so you, uh, you end up just saying it over and over and over again and it doesn't mean anything and it's lost a lot of meaning it doesn't have any meaning in fact in looking it up and reading beyond good and evil uh for the i think this is my first time diving into nietzsche but there's not even too much context to be had 146 there uh is its own section in a paragraph with no context and doesn't have any relation to everything it's just in a part of the book that has a list of maxims and interludes. So part four, maxims and interludes. That's it. The whole chapter is just one little aphorism after another until part five when he gets back into, you know, actually telling you what he's thinking about. So <clears throat> to me, it's like a primer. You know what I mean? Like he's well, setting a stage with, uh, with, with a whole bunch, like just throwing around the, the esoteric of of his writings or of his thought process or whatever i think yeah um some of these and they don't really uh in revenge and in love woman is more barbarous than man sounds cool 
It's an element of truth in there. There's truth in there, I guess. But it's You've, poetic, too. Poetic. And he's got all these thoughts that really, it's kind of like the miscellaneous thoughts that he had that don't really belong anywhere else. Uh, one is punished most for one's virtues. Well, yeah, it's, I oh, get No that. good deed unpunished. Same yeah. Deal. But this one has, for some reason, struck a chord with um, our society and has stuck like a, you know, like a trinket that you can't get rid of. And, but lately it's being, um, <clears throat> it's been really, uh, where do I want to, I don't think I want to make that illusion. Uh, it's really been hitting home and it actually has been starting to make sense to me. And I kind of want to go into that. And so one of the things that I want to talk about is, well, I guess the darkness itself. And I guess you could take this in the literal fashion. You get the, you know, if you think like your enemy, and this is one of those discussions that, you know, philosophers like to have that, you know, you are engaging with a, you know, mortal foe you are, you know, um, you need, you're fighting a war on something. You're having a, you're, you're, you're fighting for your freedom in court or something. And you have to know what your enemy is doing. So you need to, um, uh, think like them to some extent. And this is, this is definitely a danger. So, you know, you're fighting Nazis. So what would the Nazis do? And you try and put yourself in to the headspace of, you know, a Nazi. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start thinking like one. And this is dangerous because you, how you win a war matters just as much as, you know, winning the war itself. Um, and I think our side did it okay. We didn't, we definitely made a few missteps, but, um, this debate though is a little too literal for what I'm thinking. And I guess, does it, is it actually a bad thing when you try and put yourself in the headspace of your enemy while you're thinking? And I, I, I don't know if that's even a worthy debate at this point, because you can separate your enemy's actions from your own, but you do have a, uh, I guess the chance of like, well, he's killing, uh, enemy civilians. So we can too. Right. And so that's a possibility. And I think this only pertains to weak willed individuals who can't, um, see the options in front of them. It's like, Oh, well, if the enemy is killing people, I should kill people. No, you can use more creative tactics and strategies and then get your thing done. And I think that's all I really need to say about that literal, literal aspect of that. But well, what are some other types of darknesses like depression? Well, what I, yeah, that's kind of what I want to get into is that we have more, a thing relevant to this is we do have those darknesses with inside of us. It's the darkness of our own um, souls. Uh, if you believe in souls or not, it doesn't really matter for the purposes of this conversation that we're going to just use that as a metaphor or reality. So the darkness within yourself is I think more what he's talking about. We have all these, we have a darkness within ourselves in the Jungian sense. Um, excuse me. 
and we kind of need it. We can't go around being nice to everybody. We can't go around being um, pleasant all the time. We can't go around being, um, you know, inoffensive because you just won't get anything done. Um, there are people who live in the darkness and you need to deal with them for a bit on their terms. Um, I remember distinctly work dealing with my one of my land, rental owners, which I've talked about before. And I actually had to be quite belligerent with him in order to get anything done. And it ended up ending up in my favor because I was just kind of being an asshole. Um, are you breaking my balls? Well, yes, I was breaking his balls. Um, and so we do need the darkness to some extent, but <clears throat> the problem is, is that you need to maintain control. And not all of us are very good at this. And not all of us, none of us can maintain 100% control over ourselves when we're uh, trying to exert this control. And so what I'm seeing and I'm noticing in myself is that if I get too deep into a um, into something, then I will tend, it'll tend to take over my life to some extent. And I see this happening with 90% of the population. And I don't think it's a new thing. Uh, I should do an entire episode on why I think our problems are just old problems with a new coat of paint. But, um, and that's the history repeating itself, right? Yeah. Like everyone's like, Whoa, Bitcoin's going to change everything. It's like, coins at the first thing changed us just like um just like you know coins barter to coins changed everything just like bitcoin's gonna probably change everything now or well we have communication it's just like no we're just gonna do the same things just faster and on a higher scale we're we're, we're still gonna be humans about everything but one thing that's pretty universal about humans is that we have a very limited control and perspective on everything. And so as much as I've broadened my perspective to a massive degree, I still fall victim to a lot of the evils that um, that our society has to offer. And I think the greatest evil right now is politics. <laughs> because we get so... Now, the this is only one of the things. You say the darkness, but this can represent any evil. It can represent drugs, I guess. It can represent, uh, I don't know, going over the speed limit like it's some kind of honor. Uh, you, it can represent, you know, gambling. It can represent any evil or darkness in your life. But one of the things that I'm noticing is that in a world where we've defined everything as political, everything becomes tainted with that darkness. And this is kind of one of those things that they would tell us in university is that everything's political. And this is a quote from, uh, everyone says this because it makes it so that they can bring, make anything political, you know, spoon building can be political because political just means, you know, it has elements of uh politics in it you know you play the activist game before you play the spoon making game that kind of stuff but you can make anything political but that doesn't mean everything is political and so what 
we're seeing is that you're making bringing things into that space of inane conversation that really don't need to be there um hockey uh is now putting up banners saying like black lives matter like it like the hockey nhl actually gives a shit but um what we're but the thing is when you say everything's political you are quoting um joseph goebbels from 1932 saying make everything political and then the government can control everything and we can root out the people everything becomes part of the state everything becomes a part of the political process nothing is outside of it so that we can control it and but what ends up like non-real things too like morality and virtue and honor oh, yeah. and love and things like that that we yeah what you love well how you love is uh filtered through you know some racial bias in in the in modern uh identity politics and um, Nazi ideology, or it's filtered through the struggle of cl class warfare if you're a Marxist, or it's filtered through um, the love uh, you have for uh, the Pope and Jesus if you're a middle, uh, if you're taking part in the, um, uh, in the, in the Reformation Wars. Like, you can make anything political, but that doesn't mean it needs to be political. And what happens is, is that if you make everything political, people's lives get caught up in stupid stuff. And you start seeing what you do on Facebook, where people start putting forth opinions based on just their own perspective. And wait, isn't that what we're doing here? We do get into politics a lot, but that's it's kind quite of... Quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing to point out, too, is that um, his character, like the way he was as a person also heavily influenced his writing. So like when he's writing about darkness, a lot of that darkness he's talking about is his own, um, you know, rejections hmm. of society and culture, his experiences with religion, his uh, being rejected by women and just being a weak, feeble little man for his whole life, too. So yeah, that really plays a part in in tainting his words or the his use of uh, yeah that gives a bit of context to it um yeah. but he does see uh from what i got he doesn't actually see women as um evil or defenseless or they have their own ways of going about the world which is which is true and he i don't get the sense that he's bitter i think he's actually recognized his bitterness to some extent um, well, he was a smart man, like that's obvious, but when we bring it to this, what happens is when we engage in this, and I'm seeing so much of this nowadays is that when we engage in something and make it all consuming uh, a passion of ours, and it's not a healthy thing. Like if you engage in a woodworking project and you're building something and it consumes you, and then all of a sudden you have this thing it's not this evil thing that you've created um it, it you, you you the creation is staring back at you so what happens is you your your you the table that you've built has an element of your design in it this is this lot how art works you see the individual in the art to some extent but when you're engaging in something that has an element of darkness in it then that definitely does consume you when you are only paying attention to um, politics 
when you have CNN on all the time, it's just like, well, can't you believe that happened? And CNN's got like 30 hour coverage of 9-11 or something. And we see this and it eats away at us. It takes us away from ourselves and we become just a product of that issue. And we lose a lot of our individuality. That's the darkness staring back at us. And what happens is, is that the issue or the politics of a situation consume us to a point where we can only think about that. Can you believe what this person did? Can you believe what that person did? And, you know, someone detached from it won't see the gravity of the situation because it's not actually that grave. It only seems that grave because you become possessed by this um, encompassing darkness that uh, seems like it's the most important thing in the world, but it actually isn't. And this is kind of what's happening. I see a lot is too many people are glued to the news. This, 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 this thing that's literally staring back at them. They're watching it because they want to see what's going on, but then they're being told, Oh, you know, uh, can you believe what the Democrats are doing? Can you believe what the Republicans are doing? Rah, 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 rah. Feel bad, feel angry. And it's stoking the darknesses in their own hearts. And instead of pushing for things that they would want in their own lives, they're following the tenants that other people want them to do. No, no, do this. This is what you think need to think is important. This is what you need to think is important. Well, no, what you actually should think is important is your own family and friends and maybe your job and not really care so much about what matters to a few political sophists in, you know, 3000 kilometers away. And so you get keep it even a little personal too, like those, those darknesses that we talk about. Um, it's not just necessarily things that we depict usually metaphorically as dark, but I think it's also, um, like the way we approach, uh, civil problems or social problems like addictions or whatever. We have a war on drugs. We can't mm -hmm. just say like, we're going to have safety protocols and needle exchange. We're, we're going to have a war on this evil thing. And yeah. it's that riling of people's emotional responses that I think is kind of manipulative. It's a lot like advertising and marketing where they'll have really loud volume, for instance, on the, on their commercials, because that's going to wake people up or grab their attention or shock, mm. but it's annoying. Nobody actually likes that type of thing. But when it's reflected back at you, it's like the jealousy and rage that come from a lover. You know what I mean? So the yeah. love is pure, but the rage that comes from it is the darkness that stares back at you. Yeah. So and just to personalize it a bit. No, that's, that's, that's right. Cause you get this element of, um, which can be dispelled by self-awareness to some extent, which is kind of what I was talking about before you have this monster inside of you and you have to control it with self-awareness and self-control. And it's the further, the deeper you get into like, um, uh, you know, just a 24 hour CNN stream, the harder it is, you're going to be able to keep yourself and lo not lose yourself to CNN. Like I, I, like I keep going back to 9-11 where they were pushing, like it was just a constant stream of 9-11 news. And there wasn't, any, there were like, there was maybe a new piece of news every like, but that breaking Day. news banner never went away. Like no. even 10 years later, breaking news is still 9-11. <laughs> yeah. And so it becomes this 
this is what's important. This is what's important. Well, what is actually important? You can find it. Well, it's not that hard. Self-examination can tell you that well, your job is important. Well, your wife is probably important. Your kids are definitely important. Your neighbors are important. Uh, you know, um, the things that matter are those things that definitely are have an effect on your life. And when you put effort into them, you get positive results out of them. You get benefit, you get a happiness and you get uh, prosperity out of them that are not tainted by these, by these things. That's a funny way of saying um, the things that are important, <laughs> but it's, it's, what's i think what's being taken advantage of is this everyone wants to make a difference and everyone wants to actually feel like they're doing something in society but they're plugging into this cycle of nonsense um i think it's kind of laziness on people's part too because it's almost like they want to grab onto that deputy 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 yeah. they want to grab onto the deputy without actually having to think for themselves or do any of that hard work of, of being deep do you know what i mean so like yeah. I love philosophy and I philosophize constantly, as you can probably tell just from our conversations on the channel. I love taking it off to the abstract and figuring out, you know, exactly what makes it tick and, and fall apart. Mm -hmm. But I think what's the problem with um, people using these types of quotes is that it, it's like a mental laziness that satisfies them for having not done anything. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it's a reward, just like we talked about in our uh um, raising awareness episode oh yeah like they're they're self-rewarding and self-gratifying saying I'm, I'm part of a cause that's bigger than me and i'm special and important to the world but they're not doing anything special or important or thinking anything special or important they're just grabbing deepity and throwing it in everybody else's faces and saying you know pat me on the back for it <laughs> well nietzsche's one of those guys definitely that people have uh he's right up there on the list of people that are quoted but never read um he's up there with adam smith the bible mark uh, twain especially carl, the bible carl marx like how many communists have actually read the communist manifesto or you know das kapital god i don't wanna it's not even not even gonna go in there <laughs> i read parts of it and i'm like that's good enough <laughs> but, but marx is really interesting even for people who aren't communist and people who aren't communist don't read marx either which is really baffling to me because everybody claims to know what they're talking about but nobody actually looks into the things that they're telling they're right. teaching they're trying to teach people things that they never learned right and so one of the things is that you if you get someone that's you know infinitely quotable then you can pull out stuff that sounds good and this is definitely what you know the the the, uh, the main media does is that they'll just find quotables but now they're just using twitter which is the quotable without anything to back it up so you know you know god is dead it sounds good if you're like a militant atheist but then you're missing the point of god is dead <laughs> because the point of god is dead is that you know society is weaning themselves off of this and we've killed god but now what do we do and he's kind of like we might but have it's more like the doctrine you know what mm -hmm. i mean like when he's talking about he's talking about the institution or the human need generally yeah. speaking as some sort of like evolutionary construct of our, our psyche right but he's not right he's not declaring it that it's dead so bury it and cover it up or throw it away He's declaring that it's dead in the sense that it's not as ne necessary as it used to be before when people had no other 
uh, objective understanding of reality before science. You know, you needed God. That was science. Well, and he was like, we need to start talking about morality subtracted from God, even if that might not be a thing. It's something that we need to start talking about. And he kept he kept bringing up in this one, like um, uh, philosophers of the future and free thinkers and and whatnot, and how philosophy needs to be free to do its own thing. Um, but what to get back to the conversation, what um, is that it's easy to just take what you want out of context uh, to support whatever inane, you know, juvenile philosophy that you have uh, that may just be a way of supporting some, you know, moral failing or, uh, you know, um, character flaw that you have, instead of dealing with it, you can say, well, you know, it's, I'm okay. It's okay. If I'm a jerk to my, uh, Christian, um, the, the people I know who, you know, follow Jesus because, you know, God is stupid anyways. And like, then you quote this and now you're just allowing yourself to be a jerk to them. You know, this is the darkness looking back at you and it's That's possessed exactly you right. You're, you're feeding into that reflection of the demons and the monsters inside of you that make you um, less than human, less compassionate, less loving, less trustworthy, less responsible, all those things that matter. So, and I kind of do want to get in. No, I'll just keep going. And so, like I said, when you get something in the modern, in the present day, it seems like a lot of people are, we, everyone seems to have an opinion on, uh, on a topic that they know nothing about. And um, then based on what they were watching on the news, which is quoting something someone said on Twitter. Now, if we look at the medium, then Twitter itself is this thing where you're, you're saying one thing without any recourse to anything else. You're not citing sources. The only s content of that source is the quote itself. So if I only had Nietzsche 146 without any other of the lexicon of Nietzsche, then we'd be talking about something someone said once and there would be no context to it. And there would be no background stuff that we could bring into it. It's literally just those three lines of text, making it absolutely meaningless. Words That's often content. the problem too, with people quoting the Bible, because the Bible yes. is compiled, uh, compiled or comprised of separate books. Like it, the canonized Bible is just a bunch of different texts like bundled together. So to quote one book from the Bible and consider it the entire Bible or some summarily expressing some type of common theme across the entire Bible is just patently false mm -hmm. because it's like comparing one dictionary to all the other dictionaries of other languages. Yes, it's a dictionary, but it's different. It's separate. Well, you can kind of see if you read the Bible, how it kind of matures over the course of itself um, into a more sophisticated um, construct of its own morality. And it's worth reading in, in its whole. And go read the uh, apoc apocryphal, apocryphal, apocryphal books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're kind of interesting. I just kind of finished the Book of Enoch for no reason. I just kind of found a copy of it and read oh, it. Oh, the Jubilees is the best. <laughs> Highly recommended. So, um, on an aside, are these just Psalms? Anyway, 
now that I've been canceled by all the Christians. <laughs> well, that's what Psalms were, though. I mean, they were hymns, but hymns are basically written as poetry, and poetry is basically written as aphorisms and concise. Um, yeah, what are they maxims. Yeah, like and, terse tense. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's the thing is, actually, I brought up cancel stuff, but like, cancel culture is definitely the, and yes, it is real, but. I think it is the um, the epitome of what I'm talking about. Instead of just minding your own business, you feel the need to go and affect the life of someone who you didn't hear about before two days ago and ruin them for some cause that you're barely involved in out of some need to just wreck stuff. But you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be honest about the fact that you're wrecking stuff. You 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 settle on the greater good and but they're lying about the motivation too right well, like they're yeah. telling themselves that they're motivated for good principles but it's actually like self-righteous indignation that they're just spewing all over the place like it's oh, yeah. not it's not honest even with themselves and i think nietzsche talks a lot about that in the reflective yeah. part of that darkness right like actually look at it pay attention mm -hmm. it's there and this so we have what we're ending up with is we have all these darker uh, sorry i got a hair in my mouth <laughs> and okay i guess i should you know <laughs> it's just cat hair you own a cat it's gonna happen um if you own a cat the darkness is in your home and you can do nothing about it deal with it buddy <laughs> self-reflection is not gonna help you here you brought that demon into your home um so what you end up with is you have these mobs and on various sides there's more than just two who hate each other because they're being told to hate each other because you know there's no way we can peacefully coexist say um say the communists and they're ruining my uh this or that said the um say the uh you know uh i don't know the guys on the right um who aren't nazis they're just jerks <laughs> but um and then you have the anarchists who are like ah, i could get along with anyone but i won't and so you you get this cluster of nonsense and this i guess a cycle of nonsense that keeps getting spouted to make sure everything keeps going so that everyone keeps watching the news so everyone keeps getting indignant about stuff that doesn't matter in their lives and so what do we do how do we get rid of this darkness once it's taken hold of us ideologically or, or, or just, or done this? Because I've seen this in myself. Like I ha I study this stuff because it's an extension of a lot of what I was studying in history. And I saw seen this in my his uh, people that I went to history class with. And it's easy to get indignant about something. It's fun when it's ancient history, because you can just be like, Oh man, I can't believe, you know, they burned down the Library of Alexandria. That was the worst thing they oh, damn those Romans. Rah, 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 rah. Like it's not going to hurt anybody. You're you're inviting a a comic darkness into yourself. And nobody's going to get offended by it. It's not going to hurt anybody. Everyone's just going to laugh and you can laugh about it and you know, feel a bit bad. Cuz wouldn't it be cool to read those, you know, have a full version of Livy uh Livy's at Urbe Condita, um, or have uh, all of the 
just all these other books that we don't have now. And you can get indignant about that, but I find myself having to dive into some of this stuff and I'll talk about it and I'll, I'll be mulling this stuff over, you know, what does it mean to be like, how does Foucault affect uh, modern political structure, blah, 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 blah. And I'll go up and I'll talk to my wife and she'll be like, I don't care. Stop talking about it. And I find that like, okay, this doesn't actually matter. I'm getting a little too deep into this. I need to disengage. And I think that's going to be the name of the word today is disengagement. Um, but to go into it a bit further, I found myself getting unnecessarily angry at things that are happening happening on the other side of the world. Now, to some extent, we do need to stay appraised of what's going on. Yes, you do need to know. Yes, people are being stupid. Yes, it is annoying and it is, there are moral outrages out there. But what is it? What can you do about it? Well, I think Not one much. thing is like you can know about something without getting emotionally charged by it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And despite all the best efforts of everybody in the media and like trying to get views and clicks and, you know, marketing and advertising and sales, like put all that aside, everything that you receive as an input um, from the outside world as some kind of like stimulus or, or, you know, any type of input, whether it's the way somebody interacted with you or it's the after effects, the causal effects of something they've done. All of those things don't have to be emotional. Like we don't have to respond physically and, and biologically because we can choose. We can choose to be aware. Um, and self-awareness, as you pointed out, and I think rightly so, is the key component to uh, Nietzsche's writing. The whole hmm. point to pointing out our darkness is not to just justify it and say it's part of our nature. Oh, well, so be it. The point of pointing it out is, hey, we're sentient creatures who can contemplate our own existence existentially. Like we can affect our affect. <laughs> yeah. That's with an E and an A. Effect <laughs> our affect. <laughs> and to some extent, it's, I find that the, that is counterintuitive because even in my own head, I find this is counterintuitive because well, when I go hiking and I go out walking, I find that I, I, I lose all these, these conversations, these debates that are happening in society, and I lose them. They're, they're gone. And it's probably going to end up being accidentally a really good case for libertarianism, but we'll just go get there as we go. Yeah, and uh, take it where it leads. Yeah. Um, but what I end up finding is that when I disengage, I end up realizing how little those things matter even though they do matter oh you know they're passing this new bill blah 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 blah. and i guess this kind of goes back i can't remember what episode that was where we were talking about how you know you should engage with things that actually matter in your life and you know fight for them tooth and nail but really as a canadian does trump's latest stupid speech really matter to you no I think it, it matters though when there's an insurrection. Okay, <laughs> but there's not an insurrection. And there hasn't been since January. No, that wasn't an insurrection. That was just well, a bunch. Technically, it was. Technically, because, and I don't want to get into that. And so I think there was a couple in the 20s that we could call an insurrection that didn't go anywhere. Well, well, I think Louis 1860 Riel was one of those wasn't. Too. Yeah, well, in Canada, Louis Riel definitely. In the Fenian raids, 
No, it's just a bunch of junk Irishmen. <laughs> Beyond me. Okay. Uh, essentially, um, Americans, uh, American Irish, mad at the British, attacked Canada over the border because to get back at Britain so that they could free Ireland. That sounds like a really funny plot for a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody, if you're listening, make a movie, a comedy movie about the Fenian attacks. It'll be preferably great. John Cleese or Eric Idle. <laughs> <laughs> but what it, the thing is, is that this, 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 this stuff doesn't actually when it matters, you'll know. Um, now, right now, um, I'm taking part in like I, I'm paying attention to lobbying with regard to firearm rights. Why? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know why I own firearms. I would like to maintain my ownership of my property. It's that simple. There's nothing, there's no, there's nothing beyond that. I, it bugs me that people are like, that the laws don't really have any sense. It bugs me about all these other things, but I still have to go about my life and I can't just make it my entire life. I can't just go and be like, talk to everybody I'm talking to about, um, about firearm rights. I might get a bit indignant when, you know, the debates start coming up or when there's a new, uh, uh, petition, but I'll, uh, generally just deal with it on my own and not try and bring everyone into my debate and get everyone sorted into lines in my life and then just cast everyone out that um that cast everyone out that is on some other side and so it seems counterintuitive to just be like no this doesn't affect me because you want to keep informed and then it seems unintuitive, uh, counterintuitive to say, no, this doesn't affect me because, well, it's the economy. I take part in the economy, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, just disengage unless it affects you. Well, uh, they're changing the curriculum in the school. Disengage, wait, no, I have kids and that's my school division. I should get involved in that. But even there. if you don't, if you end up going to a hospital, somebody's kids are going to be your nurses and doctors. So like, it still matters to everybody that everybody has some type of, um, um, some kind of order or structure to civilized society. Like it's right. just, in order for it to stay consistently ordered, there needs to be some type of rule and regulation. And that means like self-rule and self-regulation as well. Yeah. So you end up now to me, it's hard to disengage. It is very hard to disengage. Cause it's like, Oh, I want to know what's going on. And there's that, there's that carrot, the, but the stick's coming. And so and it always comes, it's not going to not come. And the carrot tastes, it looks great. You know, Oh, I want to learn. Oh, I want to get into it. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And sometimes the news is just the news. You can just, you know, which did my team win last night? I wasn't able to watch the game. Nothing wrong with that. There's no, there's no monster there. It's actually a benign monster. And I kind of want to talk about that a bit. But the monster of politics is definitely a more real one because we are dividing ourselves and sometimes killing each other over being way too wrapped up in, you know, uh, which side of the political divide you're on when, uh, uh, and it's letting us paint pictures of people that don't actually exist. I remember going to the Greta rally that was here in, 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 
the Greta Thunberg rally that was here in Edmonton about two years ago now. And what I s- said, I was like, I'm a centrist. I'm here to observe because, you know, I'm a historian. I, I didn't really want to be like, I think she's an idiot um, because they'll be like, but she's just a child. It's like, she's 17, grow up. Like she knows what she's talking about. And people were like, well, you have to choose. People were telling me over and over, you have to choose sides. You have to choose sides. It's either, it's either you're with the oil companies or you're with the environment. And being with the environment meant, you know, destroying the system, being with the environment meant destroying capitalism, being with the environment meant, uh, renewable energy that, uh, but that's the thing. They're like dictating what it means to you. Right. You have like this binary option. Either you agree with all of these preconceptions or you agree with all of these preconceptions. And it's like, you're not allowed to think. Yeah. And so there's a crowd of people on both sides with two other groups. There was a three guys with nuclear, like try nuclear signs who were being constantly yelled at. And then there was people on the right who came in being like, oil, 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 because in all honesty, they seemed like they were having the most fun because they just showed up, chanted oil a bunch, watched the lefties just go, and then left. (laughs) The Socrates of our modern age. (laughs) Yeah. Like they just be like, man, I'm just going to drink oil. I only like, they just showed up, chanted oil a couple times, watched the black block kids freak out. And then there were the other group was the police who what didn't look like, you know, they're not there being stormtroopers smashing on their riot shields. They were there with their bikes and they looked like they wanted to be anywhere else. They looked like the most bored people on the planet. Just like, I can't believe I have to do this. I'm a cop. I'm sitting, standing here with my bike. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I might want to shepherd you then if you'll allow me, hmm. because that's a good point. Um, That's like a good mental image or like a frame of reference to use for the benign darkness because on the one hand depending on which camp you're sitting in that monster is labeled the guy on the other side of the fence and each yeah. of those parties has guys on the other side of the or gals well whatever, it's just like you said so like, you the have monster is fluid like it's a dynamic kind of thought thing and then they're telling you not to think about it and telling you what it is but these monsters are completely generated and like that's the point of a monster. It's a creature that doesn't exist. Right. Right. And you have this if, because you have your own tenants on your side, this is what we believe here. If you're going to come hang out with us, uh, then you have to, uh, abide by these tenants. And if you don't hang out with us, then you are the other, and we're going to paint you with this brush. And so, you know, you're white, therefore you're evil. Um, everything is, identity politics if you don't believe in if you're not pro if you're not drug positive you know uh you know all drugs are good drugs being bad if you're not like super polyamorous uh if you don't have you know lgbtq xbelidocious things then you know this or that but like it doesn't allow for nuance so we're gonna cast you with the other brush and that the the color on the brush changes but the brush still is painting the monster that they're seeing. And the reason that it doesn't make any sense is because the monster that the left sees doesn't exist. The monster that the right sees mostly doesn't exist. Uh, and you know, there aren't any Nazis and there, there's nobody as uh, even if there's no gay agenda on the other side either, like 
Well, except for the yeah, they're them. not trying to make the world gay. That's like the funniest thing that like homophobes are are worried about is like they're gonna convert me. I'm like, well, you're probably already gay then if you're worried about like liking cock. Yeah. <laughs> now it doesn't help when San Francisco choir starts saying, "Yes, we are coming for your children. Could you not?" <laughs> um, but the um, but things we, like having gay parents, right? um adopting kids i mean if we have kids in orphanages they're definitely better off with a loving gay couple parent than a foster home that they change every yeah it's kind of like warren farrell's thing it's like you're better off with parents than not yeah exactly (laughs) so even if you disagree with them nothing those parents could do could make that kid gay like their argument to being gay is i was born like this i can't change it so how could they possibly change somebody else like the child they raise you know what i mean like their own arguments are are just conflicting with with because they're not logical about it they're painting monsters with broad strokes and there's no fine detail to those to the right picture that they're they're describing so what i keep and i think what i'm trying to get at is that when you got all these things together and you have when i'm saying this you're painting all this stuff it's like this is what's happening in the world blah, 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 blah blah and just put the brush down. But what does that even look like? And I think um, the best way of um, figuring it out is at the end of Candide, where he says, um, uh, il faut cultiver notre jardin. And he says, because Candide goes through this, 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 in it's Voltaire's book. Voltaire's a hack. <laughs> yes, Just I'm bringing to translate up... for our, our English only viewers. Uh, okay, we so, need to cultivate our own gardens. Yeah. So this is the last line of the book, and Candide goes on the adventures. He goes to El Dorado, finds the Fountain of Youth and the City of Riches, and all these things. He ends. He takes part in the Lisbon earthquake and the war and like just general wars he goes all over the world and ends up in the ottoman empire and his wife doesn't have a butt because they ate half of it and he's been shot at and whipped and in wrecks and just the worst things have happened to him and and he gets in the book he tries to take care and tries to do the best he can with other people's situations as they go. And his, his friend Pangloss, his philosopher friend keeps going, Oh, it's the, don't worry. Even though all this terrible stuff is happening, it's all for the best in the best of all possible worlds, which he just keeps saying over and over and over and over the again. French protagoras. <laughs> yeah. And he, this like philosophical, um, theological optimism, you know, it's God made it like this for a reason. This is the best of the best of all possible worlds. And then they end up on a farm in the Ottoman territory, maybe like Bulgaria-ish, and uh, north of uh, north of uh, Greece or something there. And they end just up. They all the friends end up friends. The troop end up on a farm there. It's like, oh, can you believe this is happening? The Sultan, blah, 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 blah. And they're going to war with Austria, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, don't care. Not my problem. It's like, well, what, what's going on? Well, il faut no cultiver notre jardin. We need to cultivate our own garden before we fix other people's gardens. Like, that's their problem. It's interesting. But like, really, do we need to get involved in um, 
you know, a border clash between Libya and Egypt. Okay, I just made that up. That's not happening. <laughs> or, but it's different we... when people are asking for help, right? Like the migrant crisis, for instance. When people yeah. show up on somebody's border and they and then the country says we can't absorb all of these migrants or whatever, right? Yeah, that's that's an instance where people should care, but you don't need to freak out about it. You just need like, oh, that is a human problem, and we are all humans. We should all sit down and figure this out together. Like there's no need to get angry or frustrated or freak out about it. Like the people who are there are justifiably frustrated, not saying right. they can't be, but, but if someone for the came people over who are discussing me, it and trying to find solutions, mm -hmm. like, yeah. And it's like, if they come up like Jordan, I need a, I need the perspective of a Can Canadian in Alberta on a, on the, on the, on the border crisis in the States. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Tell them to fuck off. <laughs> but like, okay, we might have to censor that. But, uh, and everyone would be like, you know, that everyone would be painting with their brushes and they're holding their brushes, you know, to see which side of that I'm on. And they'll be like, oh, he's a Republican. It's like, no. Oh, he's, well, if you're not a Republican, then you must be a Democrat. Or maybe you're, uh, you know, this or that, or you're a Tea Party person. Or it's just like, just, Maybe they should go fix their own country. I don't know. This is not my problem. Why are you asking me? Why are you getting me involved? Yeah, like I can have a politicians and diplomats for is to figure I this stuff out. <laughs> am running my life, and most of us aren't running our life at maximum capacity. That's just part of being human. And to ask what a country should do about fifty thousand people on the border, and you know, while that country sneaks people in in the middle of the night and then kicks out a bunch of others and ah, it's like you know what i'm going on vacation because uh i've got my own problems and i need to worry about those you know I, she fools. so what would you say to somebody who consider that self-centered uh thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay well you've self-centered i mean destructively how would that be destructive well ignorance and neglect are forms of abuse so yeah, but ignorance is, I'm ignorant of 99.99% .99 of humans, and I can't not be. But um, being approached with something and faced with a problem and then pushing it away saying it's not my problem, that's deliberate. That's not the same thing as just not knowing. It's, it's choosing not it's to know. It's circumstantial. If it isn't my problem, like the border crisis, then it's just like, whatever. But if I'm a border services you know, if I'm leader of a section of the border in uh, in the border services or in something like that, uh, organization, whatever organization, they have so many organizations down there um, that um, then if someone asks me my opinion and I don't have one, well, first of all, I'd probably say no comment, go away from me. I'm at work. Uh, that would be the responsible thing. Yeah, that would be the responsible thing. But if I don't actually have a modus operandi for how to deal with it, then that would be irresponsible. It's it's a matter of what is important to that individual. What is are is the migrant crisis, you know, plant in my garden? No, but. Just because something's not in my garden doesn't mean it's like, oh, I don't have any mar marigolds in my garden. That doesn't mean I can't appreciate them. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be watering a part of my garden for marigolds uh, when I don't have any. So I need to pay attention to my dill. I need to pay attention to my uh, snapdragons. I need to pay attention to my rosebush. But I'm not going to be putting much mind onto marigolds. And it's the same with issues. I need to 
put the effort in where I am. But the more, but there's like 15 billion of these things going on in our world. Like, what do you want to, like, where are you going to put all your, uh, I can't say this word, your Fs, your fricks. <laughs> um, uh, where are you going to put all of them? Are you going to, are you going to stick them into Crimea? Are you going to put them on the, uh, the Chinese Indian border crisis? Are you going to, uh, wonder what's happening in the South China sea? Are you going to be worried about, um, the Indian farmers? Uh, are you going to be worried about trade deals to Saudi Arabia, which like you can't care about all of them at once. You can form opinions when you sit down and think, but the problem is, is that we're not sitting down to think about a lot of these. And you do need to sit down and take like, if you want to actually come up with a valid opinion, you need to put more than like five seconds of thought into it. And we're not doing that. And so we're all taking all these, the, these things and we're casting them with these, these simplistic brushes and then without actually dealing with them. And I think a lot of times when we have to make an opinion on that, we'll just settle on virtue signaling. Oh no, those poor people just generally on any issue, those poor people, whatever time you can say, you know, those poor people is the one we'll gravitate towards. But it's okay to just say, I don't know, man, that sounds like it sucks. <laughs> and no, then just that makes it makes sense, though, to me in cases where like legit, you don't have an opinion or any, um, um, any hand at actually fixing the problem, like, Right. Totally understand that. But like for the people who can actually appreciate all of the problems of the world all at the same time and who do want to be involved, I think for those people, um, what they're not recognizing is that other people can't. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like yeah. if, if I have if I have this infinite capacity to feel like the pain of every human being on Earth and I'm deeply involved in every single crisis, whether it's a border or a racial issue or rights or whatever like that. If I'm one of those types of people, I think those types of people would do best to not expect that type of um, appreciation or involvement from everybody else, because that's not really fair. So like, if, as another example, if you step back and say, that's not my problem because I can't deal with it or I, ha I have no hand in, in this in this game. I can't affect the outcome. I can't do anything about glorified it. Glorified no comment. <laughs> or if you have no comment, that's a legit response. That's like the point of abstaining in a vote too, is to abstain if you don't want to choose one side or the other. And nobody abstains in the elections, which they should. <laughs> Instead oh, of not voting, you should go to the booth and abstain because then you're actually saying with your vote, hey, you guys are awful candidates. There's an opportunity for a third party here. But if you just don't vote, Third parties have no idea how much support they would get if they did run. Uh, yeah, none of you get my vote. And like it counts as a, and I think I've done that actually before. I think I did that. Actually, I have a policy of not telling anybody how I voted. So I'm not going to tell you when I did that, um, <laughs> which is why I don't tell anybody. I, I, secret ballot is one of those sacred things I, I feel is sacred. So I have this policy of just never telling anybody how I voted because that's part of how democracy works and having signs out on your front yard is just, uh, that's actually one of those things where it's just like, I want everyone to vote for the way I vote. And I try and resist that. And it's hard because mm. it's just like, I want to influence people to my perspective. I want people to see what I know is right is right. And that's that kind of, that's that hubris that we have about our own perspective. And I'm a democratic idealist. I want everybody to vote on their own opinions and I want them all to have their own opinions. So I try not to tell people how I will vote because I don't want to influence their yeah. votes. 
I yeah. want a democratic system in the idealist sense, which is impossible, but I can try. Yeah. Know? And I do feel, um, I do feel that urge to put a sign up to be like, oh, you should vote for this. Uh, or yeah, I feel like these people would actually better further the, the, uh, the democratic, you know, ideals and, and but no, I, I resist that and I do it. Now you brought up one thing that I want to actually get into is that um, other people can't see it like you do. And this is, so if you're actually into it, so imagine you're, uh, I don't know, you're building hydroelectric dam, something as non-political as I can make it. I'm sure you can make anything political. You're wearing those shoes. Did you know that those are made out of slaves from Mars or something? I don't know. And, um, but you're building a hydroelectric dam and you're in charge of the project. Uh, now, if anyone talks up to you, now you're embedded in it and like you are controlling, the monster has taken over your life. The monster of building a hydroelectric dam, this big project. Um, and you are letting, unleashing the monster that of your work out to such an extent that it is controlling your life. The monster isn't, it's not a bad one. It's like, but it's, it is controlling your life for that time until the project is done. And if someone comes up to you and asks you, Hey man, how's it going? Have you, uh, have you heard this new song that's coming out? And all you want to talk about is the project. All you want to talk about is water flow, uh, things because it's the only thing on your mind. It's taken over your life. It's, it's absorbed you. And this happens like we're talking politics, but this happens with anything. If you talk to anybody at the university, uh, who's doing their own research, chances are they're going to wiggle their way, the conversation towards their research. Um, I remember one guy I actively kept, fight myself not to because I'm like, Chris, people don't care about cross products of matrices. <laughs> right. I remember there was this one guy who had actually, he was really interesting research at the U of M and he was interested in like debt, like historical debt and how people did debt and what people were doing with debt and you know, like individuals debt and how it affected their lives. And he would talk about debt constantly. He would always bring it up. He'd be telling you all about it and it'd be like, cool. I don't actually care. And you'd have to like kind of disengage because you wouldn't want to get involved because you just didn't care. And I would do the same thing. It's like, uh, I remember a couple of mine where I was looking at York factory records and I just wanted to tell everybody about the York factory records. And you have this inherent thing in science and in research, I guess, where if you discover something, you want to share it. This is why that idea of like the scientist hiding stuff from the world because they're not ready for it. That's never happens because everyone in their own thing wants to share everything with everybody. We're very social creatures. So this tendency exists in the political world too. Yeah, it's okay if you the monster's taking you over and you're writing a book about like, you know, flower planting or carpentry. It's like, ooh, that monster's really going to destroy you. Well, it could if you let it, but most people will be like, yeah, dude, that's just carpentry and we're here eating pizza. Um, but I think it's more to suggest the monster can be created from anything that is good. Do you know what yes. I mean? So well, like it's, even it's not just morality or things that become evil. It's also our approaches to things and our, our, our willful neglect of things is also a monster. It's yeah. a type of abuse to neglect people in need when you have the power and control to, to help them. So right. I would suggest that it's probably the contrarian argument to, to the one that you're making would be to say, 
the monster in us is our ignorance and apathy. Our, our not caring about other people is the problem that we're, we're not addressing reflective. Maybe. Uh, do you know what I mean? Staring I into think, that darkness, staring back. I don't know if it has to do, I don't think it's something so morally succinct with a, like not caring about people. But I think it's just that anything that we do can turn to evil. Um, anything at all. Uh, evil is something that you do that's corrupted. And I think Nietzsche even talked about this, which essentially was, um, you know, the road to hell is paved with one is pun. Yeah, here we go. I just found it randomly. Ah, look at that. One is punished most for one's virtues. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You have, you can intend to do good things, but what that also means is that, um, evil comes out of good things. It doesn't, there is no uh, abstract evil. There's no devil. The devil lies with the, well, they call him the prince of lies in Christianity. Well, why? Because he'll get you to do things for the right reasons, the wrong things for the right reasons. And so you can corrupt anything. Anything can become evil. You can have like, uh, you know, you can become addicted to anything. You can let something take over your life and ignore your family. Well, it's like not just about your parents. You can over parent and yes. cause problems with your kids. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, great example of both you know, something good being corrupted is that and you can help too much. Uh, you know, there's always that one kid who hasn't figured it out yet on the playground. Who's just like, Oh, let me help you up. Like, Get the heck out of here. <laughs> and so, um, I remember whenever I fell, I always found this to be an evil. Whenever I would like slip on ice in the winter and just kind of stumble and people be like, are you okay? It's like, did I hit the ground? <laughs> it's like, could you not? And I always found that so annoying. And this just like brings out the evil in me because just like, leave me alone. And so- From a gesture of compassion. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Gestures of compassion often just rise my ire. So- <laughs> Yeah. Like people patting you on the back. Oh, good for you. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing you can possibly say and it's it's meant as a kind thing but like the darkness or the monster yeah. inside of us is so vindictive and like you know suspicious of people's duplicity but at the same time there's like altruism in it like i we've seen altruism in itself become its own evil and so oh like, like haiti the aid that was given to haiti and like extorted or yeah <laughs> well it's it's a little more late that's a little more uh conscious <laughs> but uh i'm sure they had good intentions when they raised the money <laughs> well there's a lot of had the money and spent it they kind of well, changed their charities mind. are a good example of this so you get a lot of people Fantastic. charities that like oh we're gonna do this it's gonna be so good and then everyone gets to pat themselves on the back for doing great but then only like five percent of the money goes to actually helping the homeless people and so you can feel like you're actually helping the homeless but you're not and so you know you you stop short of actually doing the good deed and so you know there's darkness there you you're so caught up in helping the homeless that you don't actually help the homeless but that's not really where i want to take it because you it's sort of similar to the biblical piety though those self-righteous pious people who say like you know you should follow christ like me because you know i'm a better person for it and that kind of thing it's creating a monster out of something good yeah even Which though is it's while 
that's why a lot of people hate Christianity because they see a lot of those people and they see the people trying to help them for the wrong reasons, or they see people mm -hmm. trying to help them with strings attached. Um, when Christianity is really kind of this benign thing nowadays, like they don't really crusade anymore. <laughs> and, but it, it always was benign. It was just like farmers and homesteaders and serfs. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like most people didn't do anything with their religion. Yeah. Most people it, didn't do anything until it was politicized and turned into an army. Yeah. And so like you could say, like you got that St. Francis of Assisi, you know, just rejecting the Pope saying, it's just like, this is, you're dumb. Like you don't need to have all that opulence. Like the, 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 the construct of the Vatican itself is an evil entity. Although there are some Catholics right now that are actually reforming it in an interesting way but still the the fact that you you need this political construct that's fight vying for dominance with the holy roman emperor over who's got control of humanity in europe it's like yeah maybe you've you're missing the mark of what jesus was hoping for but yeah, like jesus never said you need to endorse kings to help them with their power and their future campaigns well and this is kind <laughs> of what in england and stuff in ireland or whatever they needed the sanction or the blessings of the of the church in order to establish or maintain the establishment of order and, and power in their countries well and this is what like Francis of Assisi was kind of doing is he was kind of disengaging. He was saying, this is corrupt. That's corrupt. Everything here is corrupt. I'm going to go talk to birds. And so <laughs> he sold all his stuff. He was actually like this rich guy and he sold all his stuff and bought some potato sacks and went and lived in the bush and uh, rejected all that and became very holy. as the story goes, um, he was a real guy, but um the that that's definitely i guess an example of disengagement um but i guess the, the 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 counter to this is you can disengage too far and this is again if we go look to christianity you get the ascetics in the early christian church um the hermits who'd go off into the desert but then it became a bit of a meme and the desert ends up full of hermits and ascetics and you get a bunch of these holy men who are going off and living on it because that's what it seems to be the thing to do instead of actually just, you know, I'm rejecting the world because, you know, this is holier. It's like, no, I'm rejecting the world because it's not conducive to me living a moral and holy life. And so I need to stop dealing with the church's nonsense and I'm just going to go off and be a hermit for a while and talk to birds. But I guess this comes down to intention. And now Nietzsche definitely was like, you know, fought your intention. So uh, the action itself is the action. It doesn't matter what you intended. Uh, the, the result is important. Uh, but the intention does matter to some extent. And so what that means for us is that you can go off into the bush for a month or two and disengage and you know come back refreshed not having any of that cast off that you know psychological baggage of like you know these people or that people or this or that or there was a shooting in this church and some synagogue in uh 
Western Russia or something. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Just that's terrible. And it just kind of washes off of you like water off of a duck's back. You come back and you see what matters in life. But if you reject life entirely, if you reject your responsibilities entirely, it's just as corrupted as going too far into the darkness, um, which we see in people that uh, are have rejected, um, have surrendered already to life. You know, it's like, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. Uh, you get this with like kids who are failing to launch uh, from their parents' house. Or um, I get the sense of that, though, with people's disengagement is because it's so much easier than actually engaging. That's the risk that we run. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of why I would say I'd rather people care too much and do nothing than not care at all and just get on with their lives. Because not caring at all, I think just personally, it's not like I can prove it or anything. But personally, in my opinion, I think um, when people don't know about things, they don't know how bad they are. They they can't gauge how much uh, energy they should devote to it. They can't adequately calculate without the variables needed to calculate. You know what I mean? So my, my, no, I agree. And that's kind of a better way of saying what I wanted to say. And my, my, I guess my advice would be like, turn the news off. If, if something is important and something that will affect your life, the news will make it to you uh, in one way or another. You know, people, you live in a, we live in a society that's kind of lost all meaning now. Um, you live it. <laughs> we live in a society. Um, but if something does in fact Im- impact your life, the news will get to you. You know, it's not like you're going to miss an election. You have to be pretty disengaged to miss an election. Uh, and um, during the election cycle, you should actually uh, look and see what the things are but actually the news is probably the worst way to do this how do i but then how do i figure it out who do i vote for go and talk to them like you can't go and talk to the future prime minister but all your local people school trustees all of them they all have offices you can just walk in and sit down and be like what are you guys doing (laughs) which you can do and that's more that's a better engagement than you know watching the news where you're just you know it's like let's instead of actually engaging let's look into the darkness (laughs) because that's all that the news is and to a great extent right now the mainstream media is literally just feeding this division so you need to make your life up on your own and come to decisions on your own free from a lot of that thing because well, and I'm saying disengage from that because a lot of what's coming at you, you don't, you think you can control it. You think you can master it. Oh, I can maintain my, I can maintain my unbiased attitude towards this uh, in the face of this. I can, I can master the devil, which is the greatest conceit and the greatest hubris that you can probably have. And you can't, I can't, because I've, I, pride myself on my self-awareness, but I lose myself in it sometimes. If I, you watch this stuff too much, you'll, you'll start just ranting and raving about stuff. And I do the same thing. And so there's a middle ground here. 
And the middle ground is do it yourself. Come like do your own research. If it actually matters to you, you can do your own research, but you can't research everything. And so, yeah, I think that's it. And if, if to me too, like if the news is constantly pumping out garbage that you have to disengage from, that might be a sign or a signal that you need to engage in hounding your news media. So like if the media is constantly um, bombarding you with just like fear mongering and scare tactics and tear jerkers and riling up emotions or whatever, mm -hmm. if the media is doing that, that's not their function. Their function is to be boring and just purvey news, to give information and disseminate it to the population at large. Counterpoint. Um, was like Moreau, uh, the famous good night and good luck guy. He wasn't boring. He was engaging because he would actually talk about the issues and they replaced him with, you know, howdy doody. <laughs> but I but, think even in that case, even though it helped, um, it helped people engage one-on-one, -on -one, like um, to be interested in his subject matter. I think it's distracting in the sense that the, the way that it does it, the method of approach is to inspire emotional responses to people. Mm -hmm. And I think um, even though it's like getting kids to learn something, right? You want to make it fun. No problem with that whatsoever. You want people to engage. But once you're an adult and things matter and they're important, the last thing you want to do is string people along as if they're children and infantilize them. Well, imagine if Sesame Street was like, it's the letter H, yay, and it's the letter F, hate the letter F. <laughs> and then everyone in the home is just like, <laughs> My issue with the news, though, is like certain things that we know and agree with, we have to hear over and over and over again, and mm -hmm. they're doing it just to, ins to make people angry or to make people fight. So... It's, it's like if, if you, if somebody was trying to tell me bake a cake, bake a cake. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to put it in the oven. I've got everything mixed. I'm going to bake this cake while it's baking. You don't need to keep telling me to bake the cake. Like yeah. it, it's there. Like we're looking for these lost kids or these missing women or these we're, we're investigating it. Like, well, it's kind of like, we don't remember, need to hear about the exact same story every minute of every remember the day. Miners, other news. The miners down in the, in the mine, they're stuck in the mine and everyone, and like, you just keep getting like, they're yeah. still down there. What's the happening? Hourly it's like, notices. And it's it's like, like, tell me when, like, I'll learn about it when they get out a day after they get out because like too many cooks in the kitchen, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we all agree. Let's go save them. Like for sure. But there's no conf conflict. There's no added information. There's no extra benefit. All they're doing is telling the individual plot lines of each person who had a job there that mm -hmm. went in because that's how we get emotionally attached to things. Well, and I think that type of informing, informing people, um, it inspires this type of disinterest or misinformation, or um, it gives people like the, the news media themselves it gives them access to manipulate people because you're using emotion rather than information. Hmm. Well, my favorite example of this was when I was over at, I think it was like Christmas dinner or it was like Thanksgiving or it was some dinner at my uh, in-laws place and all the grandparents were there and the grandparents have uh, maybe five years of elementary school between them. And um, which, you know, they're great people, but um they're, they're sitting down and the news is on and the news goes, there's going to be a trade war. And I'm just, and I'm just kind of like, oh, it's dumb. And that's you know, like dumb. And they're going to be like, and they're like, whoa, it's just a trade war. And they kind of look at 
us because we they know we're educated and we're like this doesn't mean anything it's like there's lit like capitalism is literally always a trade war <laughs> yeah it's that's what like, prices are a conflict yeah. between supply and demand <laughs> yeah like that's that doesn't mean anything they're just trying to get you scared for some reason or like they're just trying to rile you up so like with like big numbers and big words that say you know you could lose be fearful of the future it's like i refuse to be fearful of the future unless something actually comes and gets me but like, that type of thing does get harmful and that's sort of that's why what I'm talking i about. object to it because things like shock and awe like the response to 9-11 when they got people to endorse the idea and openly and proudly televise themselves saying let's just kill them all like that yeah. type of thinking and promotion of hatred and destruction is the opposite of informing people yeah literally the, the opposite is the news was like people. anti like they look at like look at him say this you know look at his mission accomplished thing look at this it's like yeah, yeah but you guys aren't actually against this <laughs> And so, but even the people we disagree with, like we never quote the Taliban, like we never hear it from them. We're we always like the Taliban we'll, all the time, you know, Allah Akbar. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you always hear a reporter paraphrase something that was translated from somebody else from a conversation had with somebody else. Yeah. That's not information. And it would make sense if the news said, here, the, this is what we're hearing from these other people. Take it with a grain of salt or whatever. But what they're doing is promoting this as if their narrative is just some truth, some abstract or not abstract, uh, yeah. abject reality truth. Mm -hmm. And that there's no equivocating on the meaning yeah. or the interpretation behind it. And I think that's what's being missed. That's part of that monster, the demon that we're creating as a culture, mm -hmm. fabricating these monsters out of people who aren't us. Well, and that truth and then we're up, okay with going to kill them. Yeah, and then the truth gets backed up with some abject morality, which is absolutely insane because the whole a point of the news, you know, we have this news outlet that says, you know, uh, was it the was it the Times? The, the sun shines. The truth is like the sun or something. Or the truth is acts like a metaphor and shows. I don't remember it, but I'm sure someone in the comments can be like, "Oh, you know it, don't you?" But, but it always depicts us as the heroes or the good guys. And that right. type of thinking is destructive in the sense that it discourages people from even questioning but, their own beliefs. Right. So if you don't like the whole idea, sorry, you're right. The news itself presents us with something and we're supposed to be able to make the decision. But right now, like you're saying, it's presenting us with the perspective and if you don't believe it, you're immoral for some reason. Uh, or you're a socialist that's going to corrupt the country, or you're a you're, Taliban terrorist, or you're you know, a homophobe. They just like, make up demons to, to label and classify people. I with. really want to meet someone that's actually homophobic. It's yeah. like <laughs> somebody who's scared. <laughs> somebody's, it's like, you know, I'm not against gay people. I just have an unnatural fear of homosexuality. Yeah. Why? <laughs> that's a sentence that's going to be taken out of context right there if I ever. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to quote you on that one day. See, I got He's a video homophobic. of him. <laughs> yeah. Just to have a gay guy walk and just, Ugh. But that, nice that's the you. type of disinformation, again, that's harmful. Like, I could mischaracterize you like crazy, and you could do mm. the same to me just by quoting one sentence from our entire podcast and losing context. Right. Or we translate it wrong, right? Like, that, um, uh, il faut cultiver nos jardins or whatever. If we consider our garden as all of people on the earth, that could be transposed into the green argument too. But yeah. 
but there's going to be a lot of fallow fields. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not even a bastardization, because for all we know, that was the intention of the original quote, was to have that abstract juxtaposition between looking after ourselves in order to look after the planet. It's well, yeah. also like looking after the planet in order to look after the future of our species. Well, that's what it's a lot of people... Concept. That's why I kind of say, and this is what... That's why I kind of say I'm accidentally making a libertarian argument. Yeah. I'm accidentally yeah. making um, like. But that's what makes uh, literature brilliant is those types of interpretations, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what made Nietzsche brilliant too, is those types of interpretation. So getting back to the quote and people misusing quotes and uh, wrongfully engaging, we'll say. Yeah. I would, I would conjecture that that's a type of, as you put it too, like it's an oversimplification of an idea that was meant to be taken in more than one way. Mm -hmm. It was never meant to be taken as a literal doctrine, like follow this rule. Mm -hmm. but. And I guess it can be that with the quote, I guess you really only have a problem if your son starts saying stuff like, I am the darkness though. <laughs> that kind of but stuff. But that opens Which, the conversation to say, but aren't we all like, aren't we all darkness? Let's share our darkness. My darkness can lighten yours. Like, so, you know, there's all kinds of platitudes you can serve about it, but the point is it's supposed to get people to think about something mm -hmm. specific that would otherwise have gone un, unaddressed. Or yeah, just that's kind of why I've been thinking about this, because I've been thinking about this for a while, and I know it sounds simplistic when I bring it up like this, but I've been, that's kind of been on in my head for, well, ever since we started the podcast is like this one quote, because it just gets brought up so much. And, you know, you see it come up on a call of duty screen for some reason, cause it just sounds cool. I think it was, it has been in a couple of video games, but, um, the, uh, it, it, it's definitely brought me down a certain path of thought that has led me here. And, I think it was worth talking about because I have noticed this in myself and I didn't like it. I didn't like how I was getting too engaged in things that really didn't matter. And I couldn't, and the problem with it further was that I couldn't tell whether or not what I was seeing was just the kookiness or like, you know, the kooks, the ones on the out, the outliers, the ones that are just, uh, just saying shit or the, actual reality and so i had to step back and that's one of the things that why i preach disengagement here is that we you need to step back and be able to see it from a different perspective is not stop staring into the darkness for 10 seconds and and and, and look at around you and see what's going on because well this happens with every and we talked about this all the time like you come back to a project after three days of not thinking about it with a fresh perspective and seeing what's important about the project. And all of a sudden you're more productive than you were when you, when you, when you dropped it for a couple days. Um, like that's why lunch breaks are important too, stuff like that. And so. I think that's know. a big part of what I was trying to get at, but maybe not articulating it as well as you. Well, that's um, why we're having these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I was trying to get at that in another episode with our relative scopes where I was talking about like abstract layers and like focusing in on, on different uh, scales of reality at the same yeah. time to get different perspectives of the same thing. I think I had related it to markets because that's the first thing that pops into my head where you look <laughs> at a long time frame, see what the direction looks like and the trend. And then you look at a shorter time frame, see what that chart looks like and then mm -hmm. the, the dailies. But what I'm getting to, though, um, with 
where you're going here with the whole Nietzsche, but not just Nietzsche, but um, disengagement or engagement, like the um, the pathological type. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think it's really, really important that that we bring this up like in many different contexts, because that's what helps us understand the idea and the concept itself of disengagement. So it's well, not to take you literally to say, don't care about anything. That's how a lot of people take Nietzsche. And obviously, you know, that's wrong. But it's to say that um, looking into the darkness, your eyes will adjust to it. And then that's all you'll see. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> well, and final example that I kind of wanted to get into was sports. Now, I'm an advocate for sports for a ton of reasons. But one thing I've noticed with sports is that some guys will get a little too into it. I remember my first hockey game that I ever went to in 1989. It was like the the Jets versus the Canadian national team. It was like an exhibition game. And there was a guy we were sitting beside. It was just yelling, oh, I can't believe you did that. No, oh, man, our Chuck needs to be traded. I can't believe old Chick doesn't know how to pass the puck. Who even is in that? He's just like going off. I'm like five at the time. And you get involved in it. And now, now we can talk about like border crisis in this, but I think sports is one of those places where people can get a little it shows more because sports doesn't really matter. And that's part of the whole point. We put all our gladiators in arena and we make them stab each other with points and just to see what they can do. <laughs> well, we want to see this and sports is very important because we want examples of the, the we want examples of excellence. And we want to see it, that martial excellence that humanity is so evolved to, you know, strive towards. And we do it in a very healthy manner with a hockey puck and with a football and a soccer ball <laughs> instead of killing each other. This is a good way. This is a good place for that, those, those tendencies to go, for that dirty nationalism that we used to have to go. Because it's a lot easier to be like, yeah, my team's the Jets and I cheer for them rather than anything else. And so I can take my unhealthy nationalist tendencies and put them there. We all do, every single one of us does it unless we don't like sports. And so when it becomes unhealthy is when, you know, it matters to you that the other team, when the other, when you can't say something like, my team was terrible last night. When you can't say that, that's usually a good sign that you are too invested in it and you need to like disengage from it a bit i've seen this in a lot of people where they'll you know oh you know all the other teams sucked blah 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 i can't believe they beat my team and now i can't cheer for them it's like who cares like it, it is more fun to watch your team yes but that doesn't mean that the other team is evil and that usually says something about the person who is um uh casting the other team is like devil incarnate than it does about you know the actual play of the team because you know something else is wrong there uh and maybe you should do some self-reflection uh to figure that out and if i may i might take that to another like i'll take that same um angle but relate mm -hmm. it to another approach in, in yeah. case that helps <laughs> it's like with um religious fervor for instance oh yeah if a person is um 
contrarian to uh, religion, you know, a lot of people might ascribe them to have some type of belief or motivation that is anti-religion, that wants to actually end it or close it or stop it or forbid it. But somebody could just be pro-humanist. They could just really believe in the good nature of human beings as, a, as, a, as an animal or a creature, intrinsic to their own biology, without, without all the metaphysics attached to it. And that would be a really positive thing. Like you're going around trying to uplift people, help out your neighbors, like doing all the same thing that the Christians preach. But the, and I'm not saying just Christians. I'm just using it as, as an example. But somebody could take that and twist the perspective based on the, the, uh, the way the information was presented to them and consider them anti-Muslim, for example. We hear that all the time in the news these days, that there are people out there who are anti-Muslim or Islamophobic or blah, 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 right? But just because somebody is against the, the political practices of people manipulating a religion does not then equate to all people believing in this religion ascribed to the political motivations that are, that are being undertaken that we object to, right? Well, and then you can take that, like a lot of people will take that further, like, oh, you know, Muslims are bad. It's not because Muslims are bad, it's because all religion is bad. And it's mm -hmm. not, be religion is bad because faith is useless. It's like, okay. Uh, <clears throat> Tell me how far you get without faith. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like people are considering um, that that type of understanding or that type of belief system, mm. they just assume it to be if somebody is anti-Christian or anti-Muslim or something like that. But you can actually be anti-religion and pro-human. You could just believe strongly for a positive thing that you both agree on ignoring the metaphysics and following mm. all the same rules and doctrine, except not explicitly, just implicitly, and still be labeled as an anti-religious person. But that's not what anti means. It's like anti-social and asocial are two different things. Yeah. An anti-social person actively seeks to harm other people. An asocial person withdraws. They're, rec they're reclusive. Just, eh. They just well, pull like back because they don't care. Religious is a new category uh, or non-religious because it's kind of easier to say and <laughs> it's it's hard to quantify because it's just like well what do you think about you know the debates around god and a lot of people be like mm. but it's like you were <laughs> which is a valid response that people can just put onto other people or like we were talking before about the greta Thunberg rally you're either with us or against us you're with the planet or you're with big oil and it's like no you don't get to define things for me and get me to choose one of two things yeah like we need to keep reminding people that they have to think for themselves. And everybody says, oh, yeah, it's good to think for yourself, of course, because that's a smart thing to say. But actually think about what that means. That means yeah. you have to form an opinion, not just grab one that's closest or that's nearest to you or because you see a bunch of signs on the, on the yards of your neighbors. So mm. it's like convenient socially just to agree with people. Yeah. That's not forming your own opinion. That's not being informed. And those same people are the ones thinking that they're smart enough they can teach other people. They're, they're the idiots like us going on, you know, YouTube or whatever <laughs> that are preaching their belief. But the difference is we do it here saying this is our opinions and we're trying to figure out some new stuff. Like the platform is intended to to demonstrate that we're still working through it. We're not yeah. up here preaching on a pedestal saying we figured it all out. You just have to listen to our podcast and we're done. Well, that's why I think I, that's why I like this medium, because like when I'm lambasting the, the, the mainstream media, it's... Uh... It's, um, and, uh, I, I really, I'm coming at it from a place of like, it's, it's not cause it's like, well, it's, they're all lying to me. You know, I don't like what they're telling me now. 
I think it's ironic that that quote that I was trying to find was the Washington Post and they say democracy dies in darkness. <laughs> well, you're the one killing it then. Um, <laughs> yeah, deepity. But, you know, because the, the metaphor is that the truth acts as kind of a, you can see things now. It's an enlightenment, but now you're just lying to everybody. And this new medium that we have, and I think we've talked about this before, where, um, but this new medium that we have allows us to get to the truth. It allows us to actually input ambiguity, our own ambiguity, into the conversation. We, we don't just have a 30-second soundbite going like, I know this. This is what's happening. Like, up to the minute, facts. And like, here's us being like, what do we know for sure? And then you'll be like, I don't know. And I'll be like, I don't know, but it's kind of like this. And then blah, yeah, let's, let's pick it apart. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? And we can actually do it. And then people can go through this and come up with The other thing about this medium too, is we're putting our money where our mouth is, right? For every time we criticize the media, we're creating media that we're considering better. We're saying like, this is how you should do it. Not just telling you what to do like Greta Thunberg does. We're actively doing it and saying, you should do it more like this. Yeah. And if we're wrong, prove it. Well, and like then we put open. our faces on it. So it forces us to be a little more responsible. Yeah. <laughs> we can't just, um, and I kind of think that like, if you put your, if you don't put your face on something, you, you're, you're allowing yourself to become more of a monster. Well, I'm kind of cheating though. Cause I published a rap art album and a book already. So my character's already been assassinated before I got on here. Yeah. <laughs> you're the only one with anything to lose. <laughs> yeah. This, this is my, this is my public seppuku. So <laughs> <laughs> My ritual but, suicide yeah. every Tuesday, baby. Yeah. Friday, I should say. So yeah, this comes out on Fridays. But <laughs> I don't know. But the whole thing is that we're thinking for ourselves and there's we're not saying that we're right. We're showing the logic to say this is kind of why I think we might be right. And that does help. And it and it alleviates that that monster because you know we're not just throwing something at the wall and being like this, this, this has to be nuanced. You can't have the monster in, in, in a nuanced conversation where you're actually talking about the facts. It's, it can be there. You get podcasts like this where they sit around and discuss why, um, you know, white people are racist or something, or why we need a communist revolution. You can talk about anything for an hour and a half, but we're trying to be a little, blunt here. And I think it helps that we're not on the same side of the political spectrum. I think, I think it helps a lot. Yeah. Cause we keep each other in check and like, yeah, that's stupid. Oh no, yeah, that's not right. Or, uh, you know, we have to actually You're bleeding think hearts, making a mess all over the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ah. Yeah. And so we, we have to think about what we say before we're just like, you know, if we were both in the same thing, we'd have this echo chamber where we'd be like, Oh, damn libtards or something i don't know <laughs> that is so much of all media you know what i yeah. mean like every newspaper they don't just have a slight bent now like they used to just be slightly bent the globe and mail was slightly left and the the post was slightly right now they've just gone full board double down and everybody knows their readership they've got all the the data of like every uh youtube and google search these people ever make like the data collection that goes into uh aggregated statistics towards readership and volumes of like clicks and views, I think is destroying media because that unknown is what makes you have to diversify your thought just to see what, uh, 
what type yeah. of readers are interested in your, well, your material, right? This isn't actually the first time we're seeing this either. And now what's happening is you get the newspaper for a while was printing for everyone. Now, everyone knew the political bent of the Times or the Post or the Sun. They were always they all picked at a certain part of the political spectrum. The problem, the thing was, is that you've posted, um, uh, you bought f all of them every day. You didn't just buy one of them. If you were actually interested in what was going on, you bought, you know, three papers. And so or like the free press Monday to Friday, and then you get like the post on the weekend or something like that. Yeah. You mix it and up. now I can't even read the, like I, I read the post, which is surprisingly centrist, but they'll just talk on everything. But um, the gold mail, I can't even read. They won't let me in. I'm not going to buy it just so I can be like, oh yeah, I've read all of them, but no. Uh, and so, but what happens is they are writing for, and especially the, um, like the free press and the sun types are um, the lower end papers uh, definitely are doing this a lot more, but they're writing for a certain audience that they think the audience is. And that's in, that's in turn creating that own audience. And that's um, what scares me is because it's that monster eating itself. Right. It just makes a bigger monster. <laughs> right. And this is why I'm saying like, if we just like, I tell like when, uh, when that whole trade war anecdote that I was talking about, I literally just said, don't watch the news. Like don't watch CTV. Don't watch global. Don't watch any of that stuff. They're all saying the same thing from a different perspective and just turn it off and talk to your family or something. And, but what's happening is that this is not new. We had this in the, in the 19th century when all the print media was coming up and I did an entire paper on, um, the, uh, draft riots in, during the American civil war in New York, where, um, they were putting out a new draft after the battles of Gettysburg and the Irish in, um, in New York rioted. They didn't want to go to war to fight for, you know, black people's freedom when they just, they were the underclass of New York and themselves. Um, they weren't doing themselves any favors, uh, <laughs> But um, essentially, they rioted for two, three days, and it was the biggest riot in uh, American history, and um, by a pretty wide margin, actually. That was a huge just kerfuffle. But the thing was, oh, is that I was down Harlem. They burned down a lot. I think uh, I have to look at it again. It's oh, been yeah. a couple of years. Oh, but uh, it was just tangent. They called in the army, and the army fought battles against the Irish gangs. <laughs> And the five points was, took took it pretty hard, but the uh, it was pretty brutal. But what happened was um, the the newspapers were definitely involved, and they were stoking all the sides, saying, "Oh, you know, they just caught the copperheads and and the car the carpetbaggers. They're all doing this. Everyone's got their little names for everyone on the other side. Uh, you know, people who are." Uh, what do you call it? They, they sympathize with the South. Those people are, you know, no one likes them or people who are, you know, the Irish or they're for the Irish or they're against conscription. That must mean they're against the war. Or they're very pro conscription and very pro the war. And, you know, there's all these groups and each paper is representing a point in this. And so what I did was I went and looked through all of the, um, uh, all of the, uh, papers and actually read all the papers to see what was going on to get a sense of the draft riots from kind of the public press uh, perspectives. And you get like 
Horace Greeley being like, oh, the poor plight of the blah, 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 blah. And this just very much like what we were dealing with nowadays. And, you know, the press is stoking the division to get to sell papers. The problem was, is that the Irish went and attacked a couple, I think it was the Times building, and they fought the guy at the Times knew that there was a riot coming. So he got like armaments and he was on top of the Times building with a Gatling gun, just firing into the crowd because they were going to burn down his paper. And so it's that big of a riot. Um, and to me, that's the bigger risk because with the news and the press, they're not going to report on their own ineptitude, right? Right. That, and that used to be obvious and self-evident. You used mm -hmm. to be able to buy a paper knowing outright what their penchant was if they were trying to be centrist or trying to be right or trying to be left. No problem if you're going to be open and overt about it, right? But right now, what we have in our media is because everybody's chasing any views they can get, uh, it's fluid. There's mm -hmm. no consistency to it. There's no brand loyalty. And it's discreet and subtle, so they're not even um, they're not even publicizing their uh, their pensions. Their well, then they don't even talk about stuff that's happening. Like, how much do you like? How much does anybody know about those um, auton autonomous zones in Seattle and Minneapolis? Mm -hmm. Those are still there, <laughs> like, and there are still like people dying there, and EMT crews are still not going anywhere near those. And like, why is that happening? That's just being swept under the rug. And so, but then everyone's talking about, you know, the latest celebrity or whatever, you know, it's kind of, that's just kind of historical, historical, like look at the monkey kind of stuff, but yeah. uh, they were not reporting on it because, you know, they don't want to have that conversation. But the whole point of the, of the news media is to present what's going on and force and like say this is what's going on in society have that conversation but nobody wants to get canceled the one you know like me <laughs> so here's the thing and you're gonna hate this you're gonna absolutely hate this but all of that was the case for twitter when you have the associated press or like al jazeera and the free press and the sun and the globe all on one feed and all you get is the the headline and a link towards the whole article mm -hmm. you can weed through all the garbage without yeah. actually having to see it pop up and you get global perspective, first of all, and you get the writers. So all the journalists and the people who write news content, mm -hmm. you can subscribe and follow them too. So there is now a way to get that type of brand loyalty with the explicitness that's been lost. Right. But the problem is people aren't using it for that. No, <laughs> but we the do have a tool. Doesn't we do have like a solution. That. We're just not using it. The medium that's 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 everyone's like, oh, they're not using my it's like you 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 make a new hammer and then everyone uses that as a bottle opener. It's like you didn't make a hammer, you made a bottle opener. <laughs> well it's, no, it's a great hammer. It's like I guess it could be, but But they do at, pull out nails really well. If you bought yeah. a hammer just to pull out nails and that's all you used, it would be perfectly a fine investment. Yeah, but if I found my hammer was better at uh, opening paint cans than actually hammering in nails. That'd be a problem with the, the fact that I, you know, I could have bought a paint can opener for 30 cents, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of my problem with, and so Twitter is also like it, 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 what it's intended to do was, um, I guess what Jack Dorsey wanted it, intended it to do was admirable. What it actually does is despicable. And so what I did with it was disengage. 
I have not touched Twitter. I refuse to touch Twitter. And I want to do the same thing for Facebook because <laughs> the darkness. But I forced you into it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I was about to delete it because I, and I was just like, ah, oh, I guess this would be a great way to get this podcast out. But the darkness is there. Like I see it. I just opened it up here and I'm scrolling and there's one thing here that's like, they'll get my thing up. Oh, I can't believe that's happening. Oh, what is this? Oh, what's going on with the Ottawa senators? Oh, Alberta, this, oh, like. You but again, know, the proof is on the pudding. Someone People being... actually want Facebook pages. That's why every business has one because it's right. free to put up and people actually go to it and use it and like rely have... on it for info. Instead of Google searching and looking up in the phone book like they used to, they just check Facebook. Right. So my guess, my, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say here is this is, I guess, a good example for the whole conversation is that with Facebook and Twitter, you don't have to fully disengage, mm -hmm. but you should be disengaging. You should not put your life, you should not do this and that. Use it for just one thing and then disengage. And then realize that every time you go in, you're in danger. And realize that you're in danger. Put some and if you ever get emotional from social media, stop. Because yeah. that's not what it's, it's not healthy. It's not good for you. It doesn't help anybody. Just getting incensed for the sake of seeing something so that some advertiser can make money off your, your eyeballs. Yeah. Not worth it. It's like, Every why am I? Every time you check Facebook or Twitter, if you yeah. get angry or sad or happy, stop. Cause that's harmful. Well, unless it's like, okay. Like you listen to, I don't know. I listened to one of there's gradients of that. Cause I listened, there was a Jordan B Peterson podcast I listened to and he's interviewing a, uh, there was a guy who was interviewing for like three hours, a guy who was arrested and taken to Guantanamo Bay. He's just letting him tell his story. That made me emotional. Like that got me a response. I was like, Oh my God, this guy, this poor guy. Mm. But that's, that's the podcast. That's, it's not that's a podcast. podcast. That's right? okay. But if like you're, you're, if you're, if you, if someone's being like, can you believe this? Like, I'm just scrolling through here. There's like three, can you believe this is? And you know, if you get that like indignant, get off. But it's great for like, honestly, I do check it for certain companies that are in town who use it as their website. Or it's are, like are browsing you YouTube incognito without your search history. I keep forgetting that there's a YouTube that's beyond me because everything's so custom tailored, right? And oh, I've been yeah. on YouTube since what, 2002 or something. So like my, my feed through YouTube is just constant lectures, engineering videos, uh, that podcast, that type of thing. I forget is... that what other people are looking at is like, I sold a house for a million dollar. I put this cat in this box. I hung from a ceiling for two days. Like just I walked around random. in Germany with yoga pants on. It's, yeah. like, it's like 30 million views. It's like, ah, yeah. yeah. And I, like I'm so used to watching videos with like four digit views, like a thousand five hundred or two hundred yeah. or eight hundred. You know what I mean? Like I forget that there's actually 50 million people watching Mr. Beast. I don't even know who that is. I didn't until this week. Well, and <laughs> it's like figured this out. And this guy I only noticed this when I go like into fills a pool with jello or something like that. Like just that's, useless shit. It's like, yeah, just and I think that's one of the things that like to bring him up again, uh I guess Jordan B. Peterson says, like, do you even like watching that shit? But like I noticed this when I upload videos because I go into frivolous gravitas, I click, you know, switch accounts. And then I look and it's, I, I look here, the German sauna culture, nudity and all. It's like, and there's this like hot chick with a robe on and you're just like, oh, I want to look at the hot. It's like, no, we just disengage, you know, and you get, um, let's see here, vaccine, 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 a day in the life of a star chef. 
just friends bloopers something about dmx didn't he i gotta be honest this that bores me to tears yeah even just hearing about it being listing off all the stuff that i'm not interested in (laughs) yeah i'm just like stuff from big bang it was like uh, i can't like it that is like but that sort of takes us whole all the way full circle back to the whole Nietzsche thing and like yeah, the that's the darkness representation of the I look in that and I get indignant. I get angry. It's like yeah. why would people want like 45 million people? <laughs> no, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just that's the darkness that you're staring into. So what you do? I click back to mine and I'm like, oh look, how to how to retool your sight optic for your rifle. Oh, that, that sounds like it would be informative. And, oh, look, a podcast on this. Oh, look, Chris just did a podcast on proming on uh, programming. Oh, JavaScript. God, you're boring me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, you know, I think this, that's where most people misrepresent Nietzsche is they, they, re, they um, propose some type of nihilistic view and consider all of this type of writing as this type of nihilism. And then they separate things out into categories. And one of those categories is like Emil Durkheim's Anomi. And then the other category is Mr. Beast selling a house for a dollar. Like, yeah. it's just the world's not like that. And any time that something gets taken out of context in that way, we should be like as a society of intelligent, uh, individual, free thinking people, supposedly everybody's smart. If you interview them and ask them, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm smarter than average. I drive better than average, but obviously that can't be true for more than half of the population. <laughs> um, I, I think that's the problem with our approach to knowledge these days is the acceptance. We're so ready to accept whatever type of media or information is approaching us, unless, even if it's scientific, unless it's something we disagree with already. Yeah. But you don't need to be informed more if you already have an opinion. You need to be more open the more information you're gathering. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the opposite of what we should do as like competent human beings. And that's when approached with new information, we should readily consider it regardless of how it sounds or how stupid it looks. But we're doing the opposite. We only readily consider things we already agree with, things that are well, easy. And that's why I call it mental laziness. Yeah, and if anyone tells you it's like, oh, you need you know everything you need to know, it's like, no, you should be approaching everything from a yeah, from a point of ignorance. And when that someone doesn't approach you're a, you seem like a smart guy, it's like, what are you trying to sell me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, Get your hand off my foreskin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like But it, it's, it's like that Feynman quote or whatever. Um I can't remember it exactly. I'm probably gonna bastardize it, but it's, it's something like uh a scientist who who doesn't think or who doesn't consider the facts is no smarter than the average or the everyday guy or something like that. He's got another one too. That's like, um, I, I, I was born knowing nothing and I spent my whole, I have this little time on earth to, to figure out more than nothing. Like yeah. the acceptance and awareness and, and self um, regulation of the, the ideas and beliefs that we, we have and consume, I think is really important. And I guess that's the last, mention or note i'll make of that (laughs) yeah i think this is a good place to wrap up um so just see where just pay attention be self-aware about where the darkness is entering your life don't let it control you unless like you really want to but no um i guess all i have to say is turn off the news and think for yourself and if you're listening to this podcast listen to more of our podcasts (laughs) Yes. You seem like a smart guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
uh like anyway. share and subscribe yeah thanks for watching guys thanks and, for listening uh, see you guys next week bye